It's brilliant. Why do I keep getting buzzed? What have you just sent me a picture of your woolly this time? What's going on now? <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh, but it did. You sent me another photo. Is this a picture of your bum? Is this what you've just sent me? It's what, it's what I. No, it's not. No, it's a picture of Jean Luc Picard uh, superimposed with <laughs> some lesbian porn over the top. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to think. For the for the audience, this is a picture of a, a woman sucking on Jean Luc Picard's head. <laughs> Even if you just sort of position it at the bottom of your screen so that you can just see the woman, it still looks weird. Uh, I think she's supposed to be sucking on a... A booby. A, a lubberly jubbly, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't look much like a booby. No, it looks like Captain Jean-Luc Jean Picard. Picard. <laughs> <laughs> it was like that one you sent me and I was in my parents' house. <laughs> Which was hilarious. But again, I did not know why. Very little has made me laugh as much as that did. I think it was because it was so badly drawn. I know, yeah. Do you want to to describe it to the audience? I'm trying to find it. It just goes back to that principle, which which I believe, which is the worse a a doodle is, the funnier it is. Which is why my uh, original That Was Genius Doodles are so in demand. Oh yeah, God, upload them, up, upload them. I don't think it would be very funny if described. As I as I mentioned, I don't know why it made me laugh. It was a silhouette of a man in a door, with a with a huge thing dangling between his legs, and a, and, a, and a woman looking at it, looking at this silhouette, going, "Ooh, hello!" And then the next frame of the cartoon is the lights come on, and it's a man with a tiny willy doing a massive poo. <laughs> With, with a Leonardo DiCaprio... <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio meme face on. Meme yeah. face, yeah. <laughs> and it was really it badly drawn. It was but... terribly drawn. It did make me giggle, <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, I, you sent it to me with the writing something along the lines of I don't know why I find this so funny, and it was exactly right. I was <laughs> pissing myself, but I didn't really know why. Uh, still funny now. Still funny now. Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, the little history podcast in which that man over there, Tom. Hello, that's me. Hello. And uh, this man over here, Sam, discuss history stories on a theme each week. We decide the theme the week in advance, but everything else that happens is a surprise. An audience suggestion this week from, uh, was it Turtley who suggested this? I think it was. She, she suggested two or three, didn't she? And we went for the hangovers. Yes, we went for hangovers, which it turns out has turned into fairly similar content to our episode on alcohol, but... Who yeah, could have well, predicted? It depends on how you interpret mine. Either mine is the mother of all hangovers, or it's just a massive piss-up. Okay. Either way, it fits closely enough to the topic. Good. I, I've got some drunk Russians. Can't go wrong with that, can you? So we can safely assume that they were also hungover Russians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where there is drink, there is a hangover. Yes. Oh, have we got any feedback? Um, no feedback, but uh, thank you everyone. I couldn't find much. Thank you everyone for posting on the That Was Genius, a funny history podcast Facebook group. Yet more fantastic content. So do go and search for that. And uh, for example, uh, Rhiannon Godwin, just a Goodwin, sorry, just to just to pluck a name out of thin air, who's well because it's the first post I've seen, uh, has just posted a link to someone doing a bardcore cover of Jolene. That's uh, Jolly Parton's Jolene in a medical style, in a medical medieval styling. I say medical because she's funded one of the coronavirus vaccines that's uh, about to go public. What, this woman that's on our... Um... No, no, Joe, no, Dolly Parton did. Dolly Parton's part of our Facebook group? Yes. Yeah. Bloody hell, that's brilliant. 
Yeah, this is. Where it. can you get this vaccine? Uh, Dolly Land. Oh, okay. You can't get it in boots are made for walking. <laughs> no, you can't. No. <laughs> very good. Thank you. Very good. Yes, yes. So there has been some good, very, very good content. Very, very funny content. Yes. Speaking of funny content, I think it's my turn to go first, isn't it? You can go first if you like. I don't mind. I've got my little drink here. I can sit back, relax, and take it all in. Good. Well, you do that, Tom. You do that. Because I'm going to talk today. Oh, paper notes are rustling. My desk is far too small for me to be able to talk into my microphone and see my screen at the same time. So I have to print my notes off now, which makes me feel like a right scholar. Hmm. Because all scholars have printers. They do, yes. Bede, who was always pictured with one. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Bede the inkjet, they called him. (laughs) Can't think of any medieval scholars now. Top of my head. Well, I've got a few in my uh, sources today. Oh, have you? Uh, So I don't want to use their names. Oh. Oh, yeah, I've been very saucy today. Have you? I, I, yeah, I would have I would have had up to seven sources oh had it not been for the fact that I could only, I, three, about three of them I couldn't actually find online. You can name drop them if you like. I'll do it a little bit later. Fair enough. I don't want to I don't want to bring out the big guns just yet. <laughs> uh, well, talking of the big guns, Tom, I'm doing the Crimean War today. Ooh, ooh, neat segue. Nice. Yeah, with the uh, the drunken slash hungover fuckery of the Battle of the Alma. Uh, not to be confused with the Battle of the Alamo, which was a, yeah. a very different battle fought in different circumstances by different people. Or the Battle of Elmo. Yes. That was, again, fought by different... Well, it's actually fought by different Muppets. It was, yes. In a very different place. <laughs> Sesame Street, if I remember rightly. All over some rubber duckies. <laughs> yeah, the Cookie Monster went rogue. Yeah. <laughs> Started murdering civilians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bert was crouched over Ernie's corpse, <laughs> screaming, no, up into the sky. <laughs> yes, I've got some Korean uh, some Korean War drunk fuckery today, Tom, uh, with a look into Korean, the... Korean, cry me in. <laughs> Damn it, I was still in the Vietnam War thing. Uh, yes. Ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, flashback. I had a flashback to Nam. <laughs> you, you weren't there, Bert. You weren't there. <laughs> Yes, the Battle of the Alma, in which a group of frightened, starving, and poorly led British. <laughs> Do you like that? Did I you? love the smell Ooh. of plasticine in the morning. <laughs> he loved the smell of cookies in the morning. <laughs> Dive. Dive. <laughs> like a, yes, like a Mexican Papa Lazarou. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the Battle of the Alma, in which a group of frightened, starving, and poorly led British, French, and Ottoman troops managed to rout a group of drunk Russians led by a drunk Russian, which caused some more Russians to get drunk, which uh, I'm sure will come as a shock to you, Tom. (laughs) So for a bit of context, the Crimean War uh, was a massively bloody and brutal series of conflicts really fought in what is now Ukraine, or Russia, depending on where you're listening from, from 1853 (laughs) to 1856. Hello, Vlad. The the Allied forces of Britain, France, the Ottoman Empire and, uh, bizarrely, Sardinia fielded an army of 600,000 men, uh, 2,000 of which were from Sardinia, against uh, every little helps against an army of nearly 900,000 from the salty Russian fish yes <laughs> <laughs> very small ships they're very crowded in yeah 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 like sardinians in a tin can if you like yeah so yes the russian army uh, or the russian imperial army was nearly 900,000 strong 
It was a war which cost nearly three quarters of a million lives, around half from disease rather than frontline combat, which considering that this was a three-year war, that's a hell of a lot of casualties for the 19th century. Ostensibly, it was fought over the rights of Western versus Eastern Christianity in the Holy Land, of all fucking things, which actually I didn't know. No, that was no, I didn't reasons. know that either, no. Uh, but it was really about who got power in the Mediterranean when the Ottoman Empire collapsed, so uh, a good old crusade for the 19th century. So it was a very serious and, and bloody and awful war, with one very silly battle on the Crimean Peninsula in September 1854. This was the Battle of the Alma, and it was fought as part of a campaign to launch a lightning invasion to capture Sevastopol, which was uh, the capital city of the region. The aim was to land a force of nearly 60,000 men near the city, decisively crush the Russians and take the prize in a matter of days. Boom. Unfortunately, in a moment of truly blackadder-grade nonsense, the Allies kept it such a secret, the eventual goal of this campaign, (laughs) that they forgot to tell their own commanders, (laughs) let alone the troops on the ground. No one was told where they were landing, no one was told which way to head where they got there, <laughs> and no one was told what to expect from the Russians, which understandably led to some confusion. How strange. That Indeed. is very strange. That is very strange. It's very British. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very British army in the days when you bought positions. Well, I was. Li- we've been watching The World at War, my wife and I. We've been working through the old 1970s Second World War documentary. <laughs> Is this your exchange for watching Strictly? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, absolutely. We watched an episode on the first British military activities in the Second World War up in Norway. And I think it was oh. pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah. Just rampant incompetence on the part of the British. <laughs> Turning up somewhere with the wrong equipment and not really knowing what they were there for. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We take a little bit of time to warm up, don't we, Sam? We do. As a, a yes, as a fighting force, we need to we need to kind of wind up our punch. <laughs> yeah. We, <laughs> we need to limber up. We need to do a few quad stretches. Yes. As opposed to the French who charge in head first, which in a boxing match is not <laughs> not, a, <laughs> not a winning tactic. <laughs> Run in first and get hit hard. That's a good documentary, though, World at War. Oh, it's a cracker. It's old, but it's good. That's why it's good, isn't it? That's why it's good, because it was put together in the 70s, and so they're still in, yeah, they're still interviewing people. none of this revisionism. Who, well, they're interviewing people who are directly involved. Yes. Uh, anyway. It's a very, very good, very good documentary. So, yeah, the British and French forces landed in the, the aptly named Calamita Bay, Calamitas Bay, around 30 miles from Sevastopol on September 14th, 1854. The French got off their boats in lightning time. They were super organised. They knew exactly what they were doing, being fully unloaded and camped up on the beach by midnight of the same day. The British, not so much. The commanders of the British force had been warned to expect resistance on the beach from the Russians and so had prepared for a marine invasion, with lots of infantry swarming ashore, capturing the area and the supplies and guns following shortly afterwards. When the British saw that there were no Russians and that the French had uh, got to the beach and were busy drinking wine and chasing local ladies back and forth, they decided (laughs) to storm the beach anyway because we've made a plan, so we'll stick to the plan. (laughs) (laughs) So they ran all of the able-bodied infantry ashore, all of those who could walk, uh, which was not many infantry given that most of them had cholera by this point. (laughs) They just charged the infantry up the completely peaceful beach. Uh, at which point the tide came in, so they couldn't then get any of the supplies off the ships. 
Instead, they concentrated on getting all of the soldiers who'd managed to make it to shore to come back to the boats and collect all of the really ill soldiers for literally no reason whatsoever. <laughs> You've stormed the beach, now come back and pick up all the sick ones. <laughs> that was good, but I want to do it again, and this time with more anger, guys, okay? And more vomiting <laughs> and dysentery <laughs> from your comrades. Really, really fill that water with shit. We want a brown version of the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan here, boys. <laughs> No, no, no mortars, just explosive diarrhoea from the red coat at the back. <laughs> his legs are still flying off, but purely from the force of his shit. <laughs> In fact, there's a great idea. Let's put all, the, <laughs> put all those with dysentery on the front of the boat and get them to shart in unison. That should drive <laughs> us up the beach, shouldn't it? I think you probably want those at the back of the boat, Tom. Otherwise, it's going to be a very unpleasant experience for the, for the rowers behind. For the French. <laughs> Why, this is like going to one of our supermarkets. <laughs> it smells revolting. It smells like a carrefour. <laughs> Honestly, we finally, finally have peace with the British after centuries of warfare. And this is how they repay us. <laughs> In fairness, it is a very French way. <laughs> Showing yes. the arse and farting. <laughs> they have clearly learned from the best. <laughs> Unfortunately, the British with dysentery seem to have been put at the front of the boat facing the beach. And so they are now retreating in rapid order back to their ships. Ah, uh, yes, very French. <laughs> so it eventually took the British five full days to unload, at which point they were getting incredibly impatient and just headed off over the hills, completely forgetting to bring any of their food or water with them. <laughs> but they probably lost their appetite by this point. <laughs> yes, I think so. So within a few days, the French were pissed off, the British were starving, and the Russians had finally got their act together, realised that they were being invaded, and found some high ground to defend between the British, the French, and Sevastopol. Unfortunately, they had a few days to spare and, uh, and started drinking to pass the time, Tom. Like you do. Uh, like the Russians do. <laughs> in preparation for <laughs> yes, battle. In preparation for a great battle. They drank, and they drank, and they drank. Uh, in part because they were outnumbered two to one, and... A lot of them were pretty convinced, this being the Russian, you know, this being the Russians with their, their character being what it is. They were pretty sure that they were all going to die. <laughs> so they just drunk themselves to oblivion. Meanwhile, the man in charge, Prince Alexander Menshikov, was so convinced he was going to win that he'd invited all of the prettiest ladies of Sebastopol out for a picnic. That is, of course, Tom, the least bearded ones with the right number of toes. <laughs> <laughs> She's got two eyebrows. Bring them along. <laughs> <laughs> She's got one eyebrow. Meh. <laughs> Bigger scared to be choosers. Bring the scissors. Yes. Not for the monobrow, for the toe webbing. <laughs> I can do with a hairy face, but I have my limits. I can't, I can't help but feel there's a failure of leadership here. If the morale is so high at the top <laughs> and so low at the bottom. <laughs> yes. Welcome to the Russian Empire. Yes, I suppose so. Um, yeah. This is how communism happens. I was about to say, yeah, this is how revolutions start. Yes. So there's a, a great account of the battle from the Russian side, courtesy of uh, a book from a conscripted Polish lieutenant, or lieutenant, Robert Adolfo Chodaskiewicz, 
whose book, A Voice from Within the Walls of Sebastopol, a narrative of the campaign in the Crimea and the events of the siege, gives a, a pretty funny account of the battle. According to the book, one thing that didn't help the men's morale is that their daily ration of vodka was very quickly suspended. Ostensibly because they were too drunk to function. From the, from the ceiling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jump! Jump for your alcohol! <laughs> yeah, the prince was just up on the hill making them dance for it. <laughs> Come on, boys, like you mean it. YMCA. Lava, let's put in lava, lava, Russian queen. Better not mention that now. <laughs> So yes, the, the men's vodka was stopped after a couple of days because they were supposedly because they were too drunk to function. But the men suspected other means. And here's a quote from the book in which the more experienced soldiers sense their doom and Adolfo asks them why. As if you don't know as well as I do, one veteran explained. We are to have no vodka. And how can we fight without it? <laughs> <laughs> the others all agreed in Russian. Yeah, 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 <laughs> duh, yeah. Duh. Our worthy colonel thought it advisable to put the money in his own pocket, remarking that half the fellows will be killed, so it will be a waste to give them vodka. So basically, they were suspected that the uh, supply had been cut off because their commanding officer was just pocketing the uh, pocketing the vodka money. Didn't want them exploding. Did, 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 <laughs> didn't want them exploding with vodka. F- Literally catching fire. Full of, yeah, full of vodka. Otherwise known as a vodka Kiev. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But how do we light cannon without fire breath? How do we light cannons? Pretty, pretty much. Fortunately, as soon as the fighting started, a poorly placed officer's mess, which found itself a little too close to the front line, was very rapidly abandoned, the guards and the chefs running away, at which point all of the men abandoned their positions immediately and ran off to get absolutely fucking murdered. <laughs> At the newly opened up supply of booze. So drunk they could barely stand, let alone fight. So far, far, far drunker than they would have been if they'd just been given their booze in the first place. <laughs> There's accounts of British troops scaling the heights above the battlefield where the Russian guns were positioned in this battle, only to find the men blind drunk and inviting the Brits to join the party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the commander of Adolf's regiment, Lieutenant General Vasily Kiryakov, left the front line during the battle, left the front line to throw a massive champagne party for his senior staff behind the battlefield as the Allies advanced. Getting so drunk, he apparently stumbled back to the front at one point, bottle in hand, and ordered his troops to fire upon those advancing Frenchmen, waving wildly. (laughs) The troops in the direction he pointed were, in fact, his own cavalry, who were decimated by the mistake, (laughs) as his equally drunk infantry opened fire on them without question. Oh, yeah, they actually shot. As a result, the Cossack commander of the cavalry troop was so pissed off... Oh, crikey. tried to deck Kiryakov and a full brawl broke out between the Russians on the front line, at which point the two had to be pulled apart, Kiryakov running away to hide slash fall asleep in a hole shortly afterwards where the British found him hours later. (laughs) Bear in mind, this was in the middle of the actual battle under cannon fire from the Allies. (laughs) A battle in which the Russians were finding themselves roundly beaten despite holding the high ground by a group of lost, starving and by this time furious British soldiers. Equally funnily, on the British side, half of the British soldiers who hadn't drunk any water in two or three days ran away at the first shots to go and play in a stream and refused to come back and fight. <laughs> they, went to the, they went and played in a stream? Yes. As soon as the fighting started, a full, a full regiment of the British ran off and found a stream to go and splash in. 
Boots off. <laughs> Repeatedly, yeah. Be- Trousers up. Bearskins on. <laughs> yeah, they literally, they refused repeated orders to rejoin the battle because <laughs> they were thirsty and having fun in a stream. <laughs> Yeah, brilliant. Um, and there were also, of course, some Frenchmen who, to be fair, were actually doing pretty well in this battle, causing the, the rest of Robert Adolfo Chidisevich's regiment to scatter. Unfortunately, with their commander passed out drunk in a hole and most of the men not much better off, <laughs> his regiment just ended up running up and down the battlefield trying to work out which way to retreat. Quote, During the five hours that the battle went on, we neither saw nor heard of our general of division or brigadier or colonel. We did not the whole time receive any orders from them, either to advance or to retire, and when we did retreat, nobody knew where we ought to go to the left or the right. Uh, eventually, the battle turned into a full rout, with Prince Menshikov's picnic falling victim as well. Oh, the uh, the royal party, yeah, I know, the royal party having to scatter as the French arrived, leaving everything from their parasols to their sandwiches behind. Ugh, le egancres, what is elle, no? I would rather be eating the contents of the Parisian zoo. No, I would very much prefer. <laughs> I would actually very much <laughs> a like bit this. Of elephant. <laughs> it is delicious. Which ele- which episode was that? That was our episode on food. One early episode. Would have yes. been the top twenty. One of the first twenty, I think. It was, a, it was one of the best as well. Oh, it was a cracker. Well, Tom, you might remember in our episode on food. Not only did we talk about the uh, the French having to eat the contents of the zoo of Paris during the during the siege of Paris. Siege of Paris. We also talked about Santa Anna, the Mexican general's carriage being captured. And oh, his, yes, uh, and his false so legs being captured inside. Yep. Well, a running theme, Tom. The French also captured Prince Menshikov's carriage. And I think you'll like this quote, Tom, from a contemporaneous <laughs> report. <laughs> inside the carriage, the French found, quote, letters from the Tsar, 50,000 francs, some pornographic French novels, the general's <laughs> boots, and some ladies' underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Freshly sniffed. What? <laughs> But we all have our kicks. <laughs> French, French would have looked at that. I would. This is normal. <laughs> oh, I say this is perfectly normal. Nothing is out of place. No, this is just a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> a very good choice of magazine as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a firm favourite. In- Zars wives. <laughs> Six fingers of Sebastopol. <laughs> nice. Bearded ladies and the men who loves them. <laughs> oh, crikey. That was a good pop, wasn't it? That was a good pop. You really are very sophisticated and scholarly. Indeed. With your whiskey sir. glass and your notes in front of you being ruffled yes. every now and again. <laughs> yes, read, read into that what you will, whatever was going on here in the prince's carriage before the French arrived. One last bonk. I, was, I, was, yeah. I wonder why the French were in such a hurry. <laughs> Quickly, we must fit our ways through the battle. I hear the rustle of pornography. <laughs> Nothing motivates the French forces. <laughs> yes. Quite like the smell of someone's underwear. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And a rather crusty Mills and Boone novel. <laughs> so, following the battle, the bulk of the rest of the Russian army fled home, leaving Sebastopol basically undefended, and in an attempt to stop an Allied landing by uh, by sea at the harbour, all the Russian ships in Sebastopol were sunk. Unfortunately, they were in such a panic, they didn't bother to unload them first, and so they took with them almost all of the city's food, which, <laughs> prior to a siege, is not a position you want to put yourself in. Fuck me. <laughs> I know. And the hill in the middle of the city, ironically named after the vodka shop built on it, there's a bit of a theme here, 
Hmm. I wonder how the Russian Empire fell. Uh, Malakov Hill found itself swarmed by the entire military and civilian population of the city, all of whom were very quickly put to work digging trenches and hastily putting together defences, right down to the city's prostitutes and police officers... <laughs> Who were uh, who were both bought in? Whoa, 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 whoa. How are you <laughs> ranking prostitutes and police officers together? <laughs> right well, Tom, I can down only... to those scummy, <laughs> scummy doctors. Uh, well, Tom, <laughs> I can only assume that the police officers were bought in to man the hose. <laughs> An entrenching <laughs> pun about prostitutes. <laughs> that's what you were setting up. That, Sorry. That's what I was setting up. Yes. <laughs> I, I do love the idea of someone in kinky underwear, uh, not the Russian prince, incidentally, being, being forced to just dig large holes outside of a city. In high heels. <laughs> in high heels. <laughs> like a dirty calendar. <laughs> of, course, of course, these are the prostitutes of Sevastopol. <laughs> so, so you can uh, more or less imagine a, a, a monobrow dwarf. <laughs> Dressed in dressed in a crotchless underwear, oh. some old crone with nipple a wizard, tassels a, a, a down by her knees, sleeve down to her knees. <laughs> so, uh, yes, shiver up your spine, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of more puns. Um, military service. Uh, hmm. but she gave them a good military service indeed woof <laughs> yes yeah. better hope the British don't get too close otherwise it'll end up in hand to hand jobs <laughs> <laughs> when they were attacked they didn't know whether to retreat or beat them off <laughs> all of the uh, the hardcore attempting to defend the city unfortunately came to a halt when once again the population discovered an abandoned warehouse full of vodka on the wharf Feeling uh, completely left alone by the left behind by the Russian Empire and expecting the worst in classic Russian style, once again expecting to be thoroughly raped and pillaged by the Brits, much to the excitement of the, <laughs> the prostitutes in Sevastopol, <laughs> the population went on a three-day drunken bender, ransacking the city from the inside, ironically doing the British job for them. <laughs> Despite the military commander of the city boarding up all the off-licenses, liquor stores and taverns, Eventually, the British did arrive, and uh, the incredibly drawn-out and bloody siege of Sebastopol began on October 17th, 1854, several months later. So they uh, they really didn't need to get quite so drunk quite so quickly, by which time I suspect the hangovers uh, may just, may just have worn off. So there we go, Tom. That is the very silly Battle of the Alma and uh, some drunken Russians. Yeah, that was rather silly, wasn't it? That came across very much as um, a Battle of the Incompetence. And it was very much incompetent one. Were well, the people who had the French on their side, who were the only competent people in the battle, one. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've come to the conclusion when researching lots of famous historical battles and wars that most of them were won by the least incompetent, not the most efficient. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it's solely, solely the one that fucks up the least. The least, yeah, or doesn't doesn't do one massive great big fuck up <laughs> yes anyway talking of one massive great big fuck up let me introduce you sam to the white ship oh please do or le blanche neuf as they le say blanche neuf. in de france le blanche neuf <laughs> i want for example of how few drinks can lead to total anarchy and by anarchy i mean the anarchy you know that oh. period between 1135 and 1153 in english history where lots of people needlessly died 
and life was bloody miserable. I'd be that's very unusual for people to needlessly die in medieval Britain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As a result of nobles yes. fighting for nothing really. I bet there were a few people coming round with horrendous headaches the morning after this, Bender. What happened last night? Oh, mate, you'll never guess what we did. Oh, oh God. shit. <laughs> I'm going to be in so much trouble. Utter carnage. Carnage, but we aren't such legends. <laughs> well, fortunately for all but one individual, they didn't experience the consequences of this bender because they all died. And they are definitely now legends. Oh. So, I mentioned sources today. Well, there are two main ones and a number of short ones that I perused. The two biggies are... And I didn't mention these at the start. Orderic Vitalis, an English chronicler who lived during the events I am soon to describe. His Historia Ecclesiastica is an absolute cracker of a source if you're into your 11th and 12th century English and Norman history. And I know a lot of our listeners will be. Oh, yeah. The other is William of Malmesbury, also known as Willemus Molmesbirensis. Ooh. Did that make me sound like that a sounds, That sounds like a Harry presenter. Potter spell or a, <laughs> or a fine Chianti. I thought it sounded a little bit like I was presenting Gardener's World <laughs> yeah. uh, by William of Malmesbury and then following up with the Latin. Yes, actually, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, anyway, uh, William is a real big hitter from the 12th century, very important historian, and he also lived through the events that I'm about to describe as well. And I was reading Ooh. his Gesterigum Anglorum, History of, uh, History of the English Kings, if, if, if my Latin uh, serves me right. Okay, let's start by introducing Henry I of England. That's a good start. Hello, Henry. Point. Hello. Hi. <laughs> oh, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How, how are you, Sam? Not too bad, thank you, Henry. Not too bad. How's it going? What's new? Oh, I'm a bit rotten. Been in Winchester Cathedral now for a good oh, 800 years or so. That, that'll do it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, uh, yes, so Henry I of England, or as he was known at the time, Henry of England. <laughs> oh. Get it? Yeah, I do, yeah. It's like a temporal perspective joke. Yeah. Isn't it? Henry I was the second Norman King of England, the first being, of course, William the Conqueror. Then we have William II. Hold on. He wasn't the second Norman King of England. He was the third Norman King of England, Sam. Come on, get your facts straight. Shit, sorry, Tom. The first, of course, being William the Conqueror. And then we have William II, or William Rufus, to his friends, who was shot in very suspicious circumstances whilst out hunting in the New Forest. He was indeed. Yeah, very close to where you're, you were brought up, hey? Very, very close. We used to uh, we used to walk around the stone that marks the place he was shot. Yeah, Rufus Stone, isn't Rufus it? Rufus Stone, in Rufus fact, Stone. yes. He was shot by an arrow which bounced off a pig. Is that right? You know how arrows do that. <laughs> yeah, occasionally. <laughs> Bounce off pigs. Pig. <laughs> yes. So Henry I was on the hunting trip, and being the loving brother and loyal courtier that he was, he left the body in the woods. Right off to Winchester, yes. (laughs) Bye. And immediately made it to, yeah, made for Winchester, where the treasury was, um, and hence the throne of England. Leaving the the body of the king to be picked up by a poor coal merchant called John Barleycorn. Oh, fuck me. That that bit of knowledge just. Yeah, would you know how I know that? Served it up. Because there's a pub where his house used to be. Ooh. The John Barleycorn. There you go. British pub name history for you. Very good, which is never dubious. Um, <laughs> again, Henry I showed his loving and loyal side when he fought his other brother, Robert of Curthose, defeated him, imprisoned him for the rest of his life. <laughs> Robert of Pantyhose? Robert of Pantyhose. A very, very <laughs> kinky chap. Yes. Talking of men in pantyhose... 
I'm getting a little bit frustrated with every time I go on um, Creative Commons website searching for a picture. <laughs> There's a remarkable number of men who like to post pictures of themselves dressed up as women and then uh, obviously make it available to everyone. Wow. A- I sat down with my wife a few days ago to knock together a poster for a little project she's working on and um, that's what <laughs> pops up. Unfortunately, she was working. <laughs> she was working on a poster on deep vein thrombosis, and so all of these pictures of men in tights were perfectly <laughs> fitting. Stockings was perfect. It's like, oh, thanks, Tom. That's just what I needed. Thought you're very good at browsing this site, aren't you? You're God. so good at research. Yes, you found that so quickly. Uh, yes. Um, Henry the First married <laughs> Matilda of Scotland and had two children: William Adeline and Empress Matilda. Let us now turn to William Adeline. Empress is a bold term, isn't it? Unless it, that was genuinely just her first name. It, no. <laughs> yeah. Very chavvy, Henry the yes. and Matilda. <laughs> you could be Empress Matilda. And my my son Kyle the First. <laughs> yes, so I, I think Empress Matilda is called Empress in the history books because she married the Holy Roman Emperor, I think, although that could be wrong. Ah, let us now turn to William Adeline, who was the heir to the throne on account of him oh, hello, being... Hello, the... William. Hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> William. Sorry. sorry. I, heard you, I heard you chatted with my dad a moment ago. Yeah, sorry, I didn't see you over my shoulder there. How's tricks? Very good. Um, so, yes, he's he's uh, the heir to the throne on account of him being the only legitimate male son of Henry I. Now, Henry I did have loads of illegitimate children, but they were brought up in a nice way. They weren't just left out to uh, be peasants, like they like like what happens in Game of Thrones. No. William was married to Matilda of Anjou in eleven nineteen. There's a lot of Matildas around, as usual. Oh, a lot of Matildas for diplomatic reasons. But that's enough background because a year after the marriage to Matilda of Anjou in eleven twenty, we get to the main part of my story. Have you heard about the White Ship? I've not heard about the White Ship. Oh, it's a cracker. It is a cracker. Uh, and it's quite it's quite historically well known. In 1120, only a year ago, it was 1119, and before that, 1118. And 1121 was just around the corner. It's November. Oh, halcyon days. Only a month ago, it had been October, and before that, September. December was just around the corner. <laughs> Henry I, William Adeline, and many other Norman nobles were in Normandy. The coastal town of Bafleur. <laughs> that's, that's where you'll tend to find the Norman nobles. <laughs> well, they they were they had just been fighting. I think it had been a successful few years of fighting in Normandy, and they were in France, in fact. And I think they were heading back. I may I may be incorrect here, but I think they were heading back a large retinue of nobles, because Henry the First um, was very very happy with his conquests or his um, his campaigns, and was going to reward them all. Ah. Henry I had transport arranged, but a noble called Thomas Fitzstephen approached him and asked for the honour of the... Pfft, fuck me. This is only mild. <laughs> I get my words out. Let me try it again. Henry I had trans... Henry I had transport arranged, <laughs> but a noble called Thomas no, Fitzstephen... No, you can do this. I believe in you. Come on. Henry I had... Oh, my arse face. <laughs> bugger tits. Henry I has transport arranged, but a noble called Thomas Fitzstephen approaches him and asks for the honour of lending his ship, the White Ship, on account of the fact that his father had captained William the Conqueror's flagship during the Norman Conquest. Henry I says, Oh, thank you very much. It's very kind of you. My my children will go on your ship, but I'll keep away from them because they're a boisterous lot and I'd prefer a bit of peace and quiet so I can work on my new airfix project. It's a Messerschmitt, (laughs) don't you know? 
Stephen bows down low and says... You're making this easy for me, aren't you, with the edit? <laughs> Let me try that bit again. Fit Stephen bows down but low... Stephen flips to bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-b
Then they had a great drinking bout and pledging their comrades in full cups indulged too much and became intoxicated. So mute is an old-fashioned French uh, measure of alcohol or, or liquid. And oh, um, it's 274.2 litres. Oh, wow. That's quite, that is quite a lot. Yeah, that's uh, three of those. Yeah, nearly, a ton, nearly a ton of booze. A ton of booze. These marines apparently went and sat down where their ship's rowers were supposed to sit. Here's a quote from William Amalsbury. The sailors, too, immoderately filled with wine, with that seaman's hilarity which their cups excited, exclaimed, Row, row, row the boats gently down the stream. Belts <laughs> off, trousers down. Who's at life a scream? <laughs> <laughs> that started as William and Malmesbury, but ended as Blackadder. If you see a Norman king, go and fuck the queen. <laughs> <laughs> Details of the pre-boarding booze up are sketchy, but what we can say with some confidence is it involved duty-free bags of French wine, road cones on heads, streaking, and a shopping trolley race in a Carrefour car park. Hey! <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sounds fun. Good payoff, good payoff. <laughs> <laughs> Worth the wait. The passengers boarded the white ship, and immediately demanded more wine. They also became aware that Henry I's ship had set sail much earlier, according to Audric Vitalis's account, quote, in the first watch of the night. Being totally slozzled, and with the night still young, they demanded that Fitzstephen, who too was very drunk, set sail as fast as he could to catch up and beat the king home. With glorious visions of hanging out of the side of the boat, mooning at the king while shouting, A king is a twat! Long live the twat! Your boat's twat. <laughs> no doubt there were some who boarded the boat who weren't involved in the boozing and were ra- really rather annoyed by it all, much like one of those flights to Amsterdam that I'm sure we've all been on. I can't remember the time I was far too drunk on my flight to Amsterdam. <laughs> Stole a wheel from the plane and put it on my head. <laughs> now look at me, oh, I'm, an look. I'm an Airbus. I'm an Airbus, Where's Dave? Dave, oh, he threw him in the engine. Let's, 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 let's. Audric Vitalis writes, But two monks of Tyron, Count Stephen, with two men at arms, William de Lumière, Cable de Chamberlain, Edward of Salisbury, and several others came on shore, having left the vessel upon observing that it was overcrowded with riotous and headstrong youths. And yes, Ooh. that was William de Lumière. <laughs> They are pissed, they are fucked, they are really in the muck. When the ship goes topsy-turvy, they will... <laughs> and they are all being a little bit pervy. <laughs> yes. Ah, yes. Give a wink, do a stink. Ooh la la, that's my kink. <laughs> I'm a naughty little monk. <laughs> With their thing for bottom fuck. <laughs> what? I? I don't know. I'm not, buy- I'm not paying good money to see your version of Moulin Rouge. <laughs> yeah, we went to Paris for a few days. We had a long weekend in Paris about four or five years ago. Any, any time in Paris is a long weekend. <laughs> yeah. we, went, we went to a Moulin Rouge. It was the most tacky, touristy shit we'd ever seen. But it was, I bet it was. brilliant. Because was it was it? so shit. And he was on tables, oh. surrounded by Asian tourists, who were the only other people stupid enough to go along to this thing. There was no one French <laughs> in the whole room, well, apart from the women dancing with their boobs out. Um, and there were all these women on stage with their boobs out, doing the, you know, in the big uh, feather wings and all that sort of shite. 
and they had some uh, some singers, and they were just like singers straight out of nineteen eighties variety acts, like with sort of Leo Sayer hair and really bad fake tans. Oh, nice! And you know, suit and tie. It was brilliant. So so tacky. We loved it. We loved the fact that it was so shit. So shit. It was good. How much did it cost to get into the Moulin Rouge? Is are you leading on to a joke here? No, no, it's a genuine question. How much does a night out at the Moulin Rouge set you back? I can't. It wasn't that bad. It was. It was a fair outlay, but it wasn't. It, I remember coming out of it thinking that was worth every penny, <laughs> every single penny. It was that yes. bad. Anyway, so the Stephen that I mentioned a moment ago in that count, in that quote, the Count Stephen, he is actually Stephen of Blois, the future king of England. Did it? Stephen of Blois. Um, Blois. How does one spell Blois? It is with a bleu, a Blois, and a. Blois. Ah, of course. A B-L-O-I-S. Ah. Not Blois, is it? The sound... The sound. <laughs> sound of a drunken vomit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the future, he's the future king of England. It was a good thing uh, that these people um, did a light. I mean, Odoric tells us later that Stephen actually lighted because he had the squits. Um, <laughs> a detail that I'm sure King Stephen probably um, preferred Odoric to leave He's out. thrilled to have recounted, <laughs> yes, Luckiest squits in history. And no, the king did shitteth. <laughs> Through the eye of a needle. <laughs> yes. Something rotten did henceforth emanate. And lo, did he become king despite his foul ass. And verily all did say, Fucking hell, Stephen, what hast thou eaten? <laughs> Stephen, thou gut flora, truly is horrendous. Hast thou tried a yakult? Just to somehow alter the balance? <laughs> yeah, so the religious men um, were also supposed to board the boat that they were driven off by the drunken hordes who had just taken the piss out of them for tr- for trying to bless the, bo- uh, the boat and um, all the drunkards <laughs> who sailed within her. From the sounds of it, I'm just get spitballing here and guessing, they should have let them bless the boat, Tom. Well, I think there is quite possibly, with these chroniclers, a moral point being made here, isn't Ooh. there? No, let your monks bless your boat, and you're not going to uh, you're not going to sink and die. Um, as we'll come on to a little bit later, another another writer, contemporary writer, it was a little bit more obvious. And um, they had had barely left port when the ship, rowed forward chaotically by the drunken soldiers and captained by the pissed fit Stephen, keen to catch the king, smashed into submerged rocks that any ship oh. captain should have known about. Now, nothing sobers you up quite like the English Channel in late November. It was utter chaos as the ship sank. Odric again. At this fearful moment, the passengers and crew raised cries of distress, but their mouths were soon stopped by the swelling waves, and all perished together, except two who seized hold of the yard from which the sail was set. Oof. Two individuals were a lesser noble called Geoffrey, and a butcher called Berold. Uh, who was apparently the poorest man on the ship. Yes, how did Berold get in? <laughs> well, I, I, presumably he was doing some of the cooking. I don't know. But there is also uh, here, I think, some more Christian subtext. Right. Odric does point out that he was the poorest and, and worst dressed individual on the boat. So I think there's a little bit of God save the least Beak. materialistic of the meat. <laughs> God Beak. values Beak. well-cut <laughs> meat. <laughs> the choicest cuts. God save the sirloin. <laughs> yeah, so for an entire night, a bitly cold one at that, the two of them hung on for dear life. Eventually, Geoffrey succumbed and went under the water, but Berold held fast with those big, burly butcher's hands. 
and was rescued by fishermen in the morning. Ah. Henry of Huntingdon actually tells of how William Ongervin managed to get away from the sinking ship in a lifeboat before turning back after hearing the desperate cries of his illegitimate sister. The moment the lifeboat returned to the sinking ship, it was overrun with drunken nobles who didn't fancy drowning, and the whole boat sank. Try and do a good deed, don't you? Now, that may not... Actually, I might be wrong. I think that may have been William of Malmesbury. God saves the poorest man on the ship, but not the one with an actual good spirit who would best try and save people. Well, I don't think William of Ongervin is innocent here. He was the one that started the big piss-up by being a spoiled 17-year-old rat. That is true. Uh, Sorry, Henry of Huntington. Now, the two accounts of the shipwreck I've mentioned so far, William of Malmesbury and Orderic Vitalis, they are two of the most detailed accounts of the incident. Um, But there are many other accounts, including, uh, this is my favourite, from Henry of Huntingdon. A quote, William and Richard and his daughters and niece with the Earl of Chester and many nobles were shipwrecked, besides the king's butlers, stewards and bakers, all or most of whom were said to have been tainted with the sin of sodomy. Behold the terrible vengeance of God. Relax to grind, have you, Henry? Something on your mind, Henry of Huntington? Sodomy! <laughs> now, there are bums everywhere. Bumming! Everyone was bumming each other. Bumming here and bumming there and bumming everywhere. No wonder the ship. Yes. And you know what they say? You know what they say? Insert the cocks and hit the rocks. <laughs> I think that's in the Old Testament, actually. Yes, yes. One in the stink, thou boat shall sink. <laughs> We've gone back. To, this is this is the Old Testament, isn't it? This is uh, yes. the Bruce Forsyth. What did the stink go about? Let's have a look at where you should have fucked. <laughs> oh dear! I made a, a rather fantastic joke at the start of my piece about anarchy. Well, the death of William Ongervin left Henry the First without a male heir. And this was the cause of the period of English history called the Anarchy. Henry certainly tried his best to get another legitimate child. He married Adelisa of Louvain, who sounds very exotic, in 1121. She does. Three years after wife number one had died. I did look that up because I was just checking that he didn't have two wives. They bonked, shagged and rooted, but all to no avail. It's the law of sod, isn't it? When you dilly-dally with a noble lady, she always gets pregnant. When you need a legitimate son and you try it on with your wife, nothing. Well, you did just say it's Sod's Law, so it might be, that might be the problem they're having. <laughs> yeah. No, not every hole is a goal. 1127, Henry I compels his barons to accept his daughter Matilda as his heir. However, a queen was unprecedented in England and Normandy, although not Anglo-Saxon England, and Matilda was married to the Count of Anjou, something the baronage disliked immensely. She had a son in 1133 called Henry, and this was a cause for hope. He wouldn't have had ovaries and would be far better leader than Matilda because she had hormones and all that shit. Exactly. Distractions, Tom. Mm, he could focus being a man, but oh shit. Yes, he could. Henry the First dies in 1135. <sighs> Stephen of Blois, oh. if you remember, he had the fortunate shits on the night of the white ship disaster. He was a great-grandchild of William <laughs> the Conqueror. He had the, yes, the brown, the brown ship blessing of the white ship disaster. <laughs> He heard about Henry I's death and sailed to England to seize the throne. Anyway, long story short, because we can't go on forever with this, Matilda and Stephen go at each other. Stephen even gets captured at one point and is ransomed off. Matilda is on the verge of being made queen and then pisses off the people of London by refusing to wear a pearly coat on her wedding day and dance around the piano. (laughs) Matilda's son, the future Henry II, invades England. Stephen's son and heir dies. That was a chap called Eustace. Could have been King Eustace I. Uh, Stephen kind of gives up, agrees to let... Eustace bastard. (laughs) Yeah, nice. 
That's uh, a, that's a Chronicles of Narnia joke. That one is it. Yeah, there's a character in there, the Voyager's Dawn Treader called Eustace, and uh, Trumpkin the dwarf uh, can't hear very well. He says, "What's your name?" And he says, "Eustace." And he says, "Well, if you're Eustace, we don't want to hear you around here." Um, cracky, oh. cracky little Chronicles of Narnia joke there. Stephen kind of gives up, agrees to let Henry be his heir, and in 1153, after almost 20 years of chaos and violence, the anarchy, Stephen dies and Henry II becomes king. And all of this because of a piss-up that got out of hand. That is pretty impressive. That is quite a hangover, isn't it? That's a national hangover, that isn't it? That is a national hangover. Naturally... As I'd made all this effort to find all of the relevant sources, or as many as I could find online, I thought it pertinent to search through them for vulgar words. Of course you did. Go on then. Audric Vitalis came up clean. The twat. Um, In fact, all of the sources I used did, with the exception of William of Malmesbury, who tested positive for two excrements. The first story (laughs) concerns the irritatingly pious wife of the West Saxon king, Ina, from around the 700s, I think. Ina's queen was Ethelberger a woman of royal race and disposition who perpetually urging the necessity of bidding adieu to earthly things, at least in the close of life. And the king, as constantly deferring the execution of her advice, at last endeavoured to overcome him by stratagem. For on a certain occasion, when they had been revelling at a country seat with more than usual riot and luxury, the next day after their departure, an attendant with the privity of the queen defiled the palace in every possible manner, both with the excrement of cattle and heaps of filth. And lastly, he put a sow, which had recently farrowed, in the very bed where they had lain. Wow. Yes. <laughs> it's quite it's a bit of an overreaction, isn't it? Defiled the palace in every possible manner. Pooed on the pillows. Literally invited cows to shit on the pillows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Excrement of cattle, heats of filth, it's disgusting. And then after this, the queen... Where did they find all these animals from? Well, there clearly wasn't as good a party as she's making out because they didn't eat them. Well, no. Anyway, after this, the queen persuades the king to return to the house to see the mess. And when he does, he says, Oh, happy wife, happy life. Yes, dear, what a good idea. I can now see how all my material possessions look far worse when covered in cow shit. What wonderful logic you possess. <laughs> I shouldn't be so materialistic. <laughs> so you're starting to get it. And I think it's that same sort of story. No, no, keep the cows. They, <laughs> they really add something to the place. <laughs> I like the smell of shit, actually. I mean, I've learned through my noble living, I'd, I'd been, I sort of taught myself that nice smells were nice, but I was wrong, my love. I like cow shit and the aroma of silage in my living room. I mean, in the, in the 11th century, there's probably not many better smells around. Than the sweet smell of silage. It's the potpourri of the uh, medieval period. Potpourri, if you will. Potpourri. Hey. <laughs> That story actually has the undertones, which I think could be in the accounts of the sinking of the white ship, this idea of you should get rid of your material possessions. Anyway. And your nobility. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and and all of the nobility of Northern Europe. William also comes out with this one, quote, At that time, too, on the confines of Brittany and Normandy, a prodigy was seen in one, or more properly speaking, in two women. There were two heads, four arms, and every other part twofold to the navel. Beneath were two legs, two feet, and all other parts single. While one was laughing, eating, or speaking, the other would cry, fast, or remain silent. Though both mouths ate, yet the excrement was discharged by only one passage. At last, one dying, the other survived, and the living carried about the dead for the space of three years till she died also through the fatigue of the weight and the stench of the dead carcass. So a very morbid and sad, but also very interesting reference to, of course, a Siamese twin that I stumbled across. 
So it wasn't particularly funny, but it did have the word excrement in it. <laughs> Thank God for Western medicine, hey? Well, yes. Very interesting. Yeah, I thought, very I interesting. thought that was very interesting. I stumbled across that. And there is yeah, my story. Fantastic. The bender that led to a 20-year hangover for a whole country. Fantastic. Love it. We done gone learn, Tom. We done gone learn. We done gone learn lots of stuff. Yeah, we get clever. We <laughs> That's us. <laughs> Should we pick a topic for next week, Tom? Yeah. Have we found I've one? I've made a, a few notes down here in my notes. Ooh. Some notes in my notes. In my in my notebook. Yeah. Failed inventions slash technology that never worked. I can't remember who suggested that one. So that was another turtley one, I think, wasn't it? Possibly. Or am I making Possibly. that up? And then Best Friends, which was from Rhiannon. I want Best Friends. We need to Shotgun think... Best Friends. Okay, we, we'll do Best Friends as the next public one. Okay. Marissa, actually, on Patreon, suggested psychology or psychiatry. Okay. Oh, yes. No, I did think that, yeah, that is going to be a good one. Yeah. Psychiatry. Psychiatry. Okay. Marvellous. Right. Well, uh, should we leave it there, Tom? Are we done? Oh, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm wrapped up. Well, thank you so much for uh, for joining us, everyone. If you'd like to hear next week's patron episode on psychiatry, then uh, you can find all patron-exclusive episodes at patreon.com slash thatwasgenius. Join the Order of the Bath for three, four or five pounds a month or equivalent plus taxes in your local currency. And for that, you get an episode every other week. So you can uh, complete your That Was Genius collection. You also get doodles from Tom every other week. And hello, that's Tom. He does doodles. You get songs from Sam. Only three. Um, but, But they're there for one song for each of the tiers. And you also get some print-off and keep-at-home medals. Wonderful. And uh, don't forget to follow our new Facebook group, That Was Genius, a funny history podcast group on Facebook. Lots of memes and fun stuff there. Right, we will see you again next week if you're a patron, two weeks if you're not, for best friends. Say goodbye, Tom. Goodbye. It's goodbye from me.